Daniel chapter 1 is where we're going to be. Daniel chapter 1, I guess I ought to turn there as well. Daniel chapter 1, and we'll be uh, looking at this in this series again. Uh, we've done a few messages already, and uh, just I did one Sunday night to try to catch up a little bit. This past Sunday night was Daniel was that guy. He was, you can, we have an option, you can be that guy in a good way, or you can be that guy in a bad way. And some of us in certain areas, we're that guy or that gal. We're, you know, uh, you, there, if there's going to be one that, um, and every family has one, if there's going to be one that, that trips, the klutzy one in the family, it's that, that girl or that guy. We've got one, Brother Mark Ledoux just said, I'm that guy in my family. And if there's somebody going to drop something and break it, there's somebody that's going to say something they shouldn't. Like, for instance, Peter was that guy when it came to talking out of turn, you know, those kinds of things. So you can be that guy in a bad way or that guy or girl or, or, or Christian in a good way. Daniel was that guy in a good way. He was the one of everybody that took a stand when pretty much everybody else was afraid. And, it's, and the potential, the truth is, you can be that Christian, you can be that guy, you can be that girl, you can be that teenager, you can be that church member, you can be that person. If Daniel, if God wanted to do that in Daniel's life, there's no reason he can't do that in your life too. Uh, we, we should not sell God short when it comes to our lives. We think, well, you know, do you know how I was raised? Do you know all these, uh, these uh, things in my life that hold me back? My personality, I have all these excuses. Well, if anybody had an excuse not to stand for God, Daniel did. Uh, he had lots of excuses not to, but he refused to use them. When you look at his life, it gets rid of your excuses and it should give you hope that if God can do that with Daniel, he can do that with two. And I don't want to preach that message again, um, but I kind of do. So we're going to move on. Um, this leads to the thought that I'd like to give you in verses 8 through 17. So let's stand out of respect for God's word, Daniel 1. Uh, verses 8 through 17, and we're probably going to be in this section of scripture for at least a couple of messages, maybe three or maybe 12. Who knows how it works, um, but, but there's so much here, and I had, I had three messages I was working on this week um, that came from this, and I had to kind of pick and choose the direction I want to go, so I'm just probably going to save those and do them a different time. Tonight's message really was two parts. And, uh, and I didn't want to keep you till 9, so uh, we're, we've split it up here. Daniel 1.8, this is so famous, well known, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. That he's already earned favor. It reminds me of Joseph. Everywhere he went, the people around him, he had favor with them. Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your face worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head... To the king, he said, I know that's what you want to do, but it's not just you at risk. My head is at risk because I know Nebuchadnezzar and I know the anger problem he has. Look at verse 11. Then said Daniel to Melzar, that's the guardian over the people. He would be underneath, this person would be underneath 
the prince of the eunuchs, also known as Ashpenaz, whom the prince of the eunuchs had said over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, prove thy servants, I beseech thee, they say, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenances be looked upon before thee, and the countenance of the children that eat of the portion of the king's meat, and as thou seest, deal with thy servants. So he consented to them in this matter, and proved them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat, and the wine that they should drink, and gave them poles. As for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill in all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. And I read that last verse because I don't know about you, it seems very obvious to me that their stand for God in this way resulted in God's blessings in this way. Because they stood for God in this way, God gave them special blessings for their stand before God. And tonight, though, I'd like to look at this thought. Purposing starts small. Purposing starts small. Sometimes we think that a purpose in my heart, I've got to take a leap right now. And that's really not how it works. So I'd like to look at that tonight. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for the, your word. We pray that you bless the reading of it. Help me to convey it clearly and uh, efficiently tonight, effectively, succinctly, all of those things. But really what we need the most is we need your Holy Spirit to illuminate the word and speak to our hearts. God, that's what we're asking for in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I, uh, years back, I decided um, to do some of the work in our house uh, myself rather than have somebody else come in and do it. I was trying to get better at some of those things. And one of those, uh, one of those jobs that I decided to do is to lay tile. How many of you have ever laid tile? Okay, so and we laid, I, I wanted to lay the tile. I went and bought the saw, the, the wet saw. You know, I bought, the, we picked out the tile. I, I looked on YouTube on how to do it because that's where every good educational person that wants to grow as a, in life skills gets on YouTube. Got on YouTube, tried to figure out how to make it work and figure all that out. I, I, I talked to people that knew what to do. I, I, I uh, got their advice and then I bought the tile, bought the grout, bought everything I needed and I was ready to get to work. So the first thing that you typically do then is you mark some lines on the floor so that you will set your tile straight. And so um, I was like, okay, that's easy enough. Just find the center of the room, make a cross section, put a line here, put a line there. And then I took all the tile um, that made the center of the floor without doing all the cuts just yet. I, I, did, I did basically all the tile, laid it all out like it would be with the spacers and everything. And, and on this side, on one side of the kitchen, everything looked really good. But when I got to the other side of the kitchen, it was at least right in the middle, it was at least an inch off. And the further I went, the edge of the tile got further and further off from the bottom of the cabinet. Maybe this has happened to you before, or maybe you're just smarter than I am. What I realized, I'm trying to figure this out, what is going on? Either my whole house is not square and it's going to fall over, 
or more likely user error on, the, on behalf of the guy that's marking the lines. So I went back and remeasured. Sure enough, my measurement on this side was one thing. My measurement on that side was the other. So the line in the room was crooked. And what's interesting is on one side of the kitchen, it wasn't that big of a deal. On this side of the kitchen, it was actually it looked pretty square. But the further that I walked on the line, the more off square it was. And, and, it, and I was like, well, I, so I remarked the lines and everything worked out after that. But it really reminded me of how that can happen in all walks of life. How a small decision right now may not seem like a big deal today. But if it sets a pattern for your life and you get down the road, you'll be way off. I mean, it's kind of like if I'm going to walk a line and, and I'm just a little bit off on my line, the first eight or ten feet, you won't even hardly notice. But if I get, I don't know, a couple hundred yards down the road, I'm going to be way off course. And, and the point that I want to make tonight in telling you about that is that small decisions today may not seem like big decisions, but they have a big impact down the road. One bad measurement today, if you're doing a project, um, if you get down to the end of it, you're going to be way off. It's the same thing in our choices of life. You don't see the impact of the choices that you make today, but if you follow the trajectory, you're going to be way off in the end. It may, one bad choice may not seem bad, but I'm telling you, it has a long-lasting effect down the road. And Daniel knew the importance. He understood the significance of small decisions. He's faced with something that many of us may assume is not that big of a deal, but it's a big deal to him. He's facing legitimate compromise in an area that he knows if he doesn't do this right, the Lord will not be pleased with him. And, and I just want you to imagine or understand the pressure that Daniel is facing. See, uh, he's facing pressure because he came from a, a line there in Judah, from a people in Judah, and the previous generation, they had compromised. So Daniel had grown up watching a country that had compromised. And I know that he spent time under King Josiah um, and saw it done right, but Josiah's sons came along and they weren't doing things right. And in fact, God was judging that whole nation because of their idolatry and sin. That's the nation that Daniel grew up in. So there's pressure because he had watched the previous generation compromise. And that, and parents especially, that adds pressure to the next generation. Because if they see it, and I don't have to prove this to you, because we know it's true. If we compromise in certain areas and our children see that, they'll be much more likely, they'll be much more comfortable with our compromise because they watched us do it. And that's adding pressure onto Daniel. The first reason for pressure is the previous generation had compromised. Another reason that Daniel feels pressure is the current generation, the guys that he's around there in Babylon, they're compromising too. And you say, well, how do you know they're compromising? Well, it says in verses 3 through 6, he says now, um, in verse 6, I should say, now among these were of the children of Judah... But just before that, he had talked about giving them wine and giving them the king's meat. And, and basically the implication is they were all doing it. But among those that were doing it, there's these four guys that weren't. 
and down in verse 10, it says this, And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? What he's saying is, what's going to happen, Daniel, is you four guys are going to come up and you're going to stand before the king. But he's going to see everybody else that's been eating the king's meat and drinking the king's wine. And you've just been eating poles and, or veggies, basically, vegetables. And they've been eating meat and wine. And, and, and he knows, the prince of the eunuch knows, everybody else is eating the meat. Everybody else is drinking the wine. And if it's just you four not doing it, it doesn't matter if it's just four of you, the king's not going to be happy with that. So if everyone else is healthy because they're all falling in line, but you and your friends are not healthy, it's going to be my head. The implication is clearly this. It wasn't just the previous generation that were compromising. Daniel's current generation was compromising. All of those boys and those children and those teenagers that had been brought from Judah, they were falling in line. Another reason for compromise or for pressure is this. The king was trying to make them like the Babylonians. And we know that's true. We've already talked about that. He's trying to break down their commitment to the law. He's trying to get them comfortable to, with Babylon. He's trying to change their language. He's trying to change their name. He's trying to change their appetite. He is trying to reprogram it, them. They are facing all kinds of pressure. But think ahead in the story. I want you to just think about this. And I know this may seem... Um, like a disconnect, but it's not. Think ahead in the story. Was the pressure that Daniel and his friends, was the pressure they're facing, was it going to get easier or harder? Tell me. It's going to get harder. See, with the gift, we have the gift of hindsight. We know what happens down the road. Let's compare their current trial their current predicament with their future predicament, okay? Let's start with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his, his three friends, okay? Do you think that the trial of eating vegetables instead of meat and wine is harder than or easier than being thrown into a fiery furnace? Which one's, is that one easier? Absolutely. Let's think about the, the, late, the trial that Daniel will face. Do you think that the trial of eating vegetables instead of meat and wine is that greater than or, or easier than the trial of being thrown into a lion's den? It's easier than. So I just want you to think about what they're going to be facing. The pressure is not going to be getting easier. The pressure is going to be getting greater down the road. But I would submit to you tonight that Daniel and his friends would not have been ready. Listen, they would not have been ready for the pressure coming if they hadn't been willing to purpose some things in their heart on a small level. They would not have been prepared to stand in the face of all those bowing down and face a fiery furnace if they hadn't decided in a small way to say no to what they would rather have eaten. Daniel would not have been able to pray out of his window knowing that death was coming if he hadn't been prepared on a small level by eating poles instead of the king's meat and wine. In other words, to stand with conviction in the small things is essential to standing with conviction in the big things. 
Do you really think, and I just apply this, do you really think, and, and I, I've thought about this before, you know, I think what's the biggest trial that we could face? What's a big extreme trial that you and I as Christians in America could face? Somebody tell me one. What's a big one? What's that? Not being able to meet, okay. You would put that under the umbrella of what? Persecution? Okay, if I'm thinking about the biggest trial that we could face as Americans, as Christian Americans, I would say persecution. You know, and we would say, you know, bless God if persecution comes, um, there's no way I'm, gonna, I, I'm going to obey men rather than God. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, it's okay to say amen. Would you hope that in the face of persecution you would say, I'm not going to obey men, I'm going to obey God? Amen, amen. I would hope so. Okay, but understand, that's a big level of persecution. But if we can't in the mornings get ourselves out of bed and read our Bibles and pray to a holy God, do we really believe that if persecution ever comes that we'll stand in the face of that? You know, if persecution comes someday and we are too afraid to give somebody the gospel at the checkout line or to give up a Saturday morning so we can knock on somebody's door who's never heard the gospel, if we can't give our, if we can't have the courage to do that on Saturday mornings or to do that in the line at Walmart, do we really think that when the, the greatest persecution um, of American Christians, if that ever happens, do we really think we're going to stand over here if we weren't willing to stand over there? I mean, you can, if we can't have the discipline to, to be in our place as a church body, do we really have, think we'll have the discipline or courage to stand in our place as a persecuted Christian? I mean, this, this go, I mean, we could go on and on and on. You know, I'd love to think that I will say yes to the big things, but I don't prove myself in the big things. I prove myself to God in the small ways. I prove myself and my faith to God when I wake up every day and seek his face. And when I don't, I'm not afraid to give the gospel. And when I commit myself to his church because he died for it and he loves it and I should too. Listen, if, if we can't stand over here, who are we to think that someday we'll ever stand over here? You know, many Christians fail in the big tests because they never pass the little tests. The little choices of daily life matter. Life is made of choices. I mean, research, uh, I was reading about choices just to find out today. Research says that we make 120 informed or priority type decisions a day. 120 times 365 times 75 is over 3 million. In your life, you will make 3 million plus informed more significant choices over the course of your life. Now, even subconscious choices, those are in the thousands every day. We could really multiply the number if we wanted to. But I'm just talking about you making a decision 
to make a choice. And we could put all of these choices over here about reading your Bible and seeking the Lord and praying for your brothers and sisters and being an encouragement and being a witness and being in your place. Those are informed decisions. Those are priority decisions. And you'll make over three million of those in your life. Don't assume that choices are not important because the small choices today are going to determine where you end up in the end. Like me setting tile. And I think it's not going to make a difference today that it will make a big difference in when a big trial comes and I have not proven myself in the small ways. You know, and this seems daunting but before you get discouraged, I just want you to recognize this for what it really is. Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. To purpose means to place something on, he placed something on his heart. He resolved in an inner way. He had inner conviction. In other words, he really believed something. And because he truly believed something, he resolved to do something about it. The heart is at the center of our emotions. It's the center of our reason and our decision. It's the mind, will, and emotions of our life. You might call it the control center of our lives. It's like the air traffic control center of an airport. Your heart is what determines the decisions that you make. Listen, it was in this inner place where the mind and will and emotions are that Daniel decided to be resolved. In other words, this was not from something that his friends talked him into one night and he just decided. And this wasn't just something that his parents taught him about. No, this is something that he decided on the inside, on this, in the heart of the matter, on the very inside of his life. He set something on his heart. It was his own decision. It was inner conviction. And I'm telling you, you will never stand like you ought to if it's not your inner resolve, your inner conviction, a decision that you've made for yourself. Right. And that's why a lot of young people, when you graduate high school and you get your first job and you're living on your own or you go to college, uh, a secular university especially, but also Bible college, because not everybody at Bible college is there for the right reasons, by the way. So when you get there and you make a decision to go to Bible college, if you haven't set the Lord on your heart, if you have not resolved in an inner conviction kind of way, the first time that somebody comes along with temptation, you're going to follow right along because it's not your conviction. You followed your parents, you've done what your parents want to, but because it's not yours, it's not an inner resolve, it's not inner conviction, then get ready for failure until you make it yours. Daniel did. He's a 15-year-old kid, and he decided early on that he was go what he was going to do before the, the test ever came. And that's a, our problem is we wait till the test is right in front of our face, and the emotion is strong, and it looks so tempting. But because we didn't prepare for it, we're going to fall every single time. Here's Daniel preparing because he knows what's coming. Listen, I know that purposing in our hearts, though, sounds hard. Because we're thinking, okay, oh my pastor, yeah, I mean, you're, you're making a really big case about this tonight. You're saying, if I don't do the small things, I'm going to fail in the big things. And if my line is off just a little bit, I'm going to be way off in the end. And I don't think I could ever do this. I could never be that result. I, I, I could never be what you're talking about tonight. But, but tonight, I, I want to give you some hope in this. Because sometimes I think that we are looking at the lion's den... When really, 
All we have to do is look at the dinner table. See, sometimes in our lives as Christians, we are so focused on the lion's den. We are so focused on the big things in the end that we forget that we prepare for the lion's den at the dinner table. Meaning that Daniel wasn't focused on the lion's den. He was focused on what he was going to eat the next time a meal came up. Let's just be honest in what Daniel was literally doing when it comes down to it. Just think about this. Daniel and his friends were going to have to look at the dinner and choose meat, I'm choose vegetables instead of meat. They were going to have to look at the dinner table and choose vegetables and, and water instead of meat and wine. So here's the hope that I want to give you tonight. Could you pray all night in a lion's den and with the power of God keep the lions from eating you? I, I hope I never have to find out. But that's not the right question. Because I'll cross that bridge when I get to it. No, the right question is, can I look at the dinner table and say, I'm going to eat vegetables and drink water this time. Instead of eating meat and drinking wine this time. How many of you think that you could definitely, with the power of God... Pray those lions have a locked jaw and they're not going to eat you and you just pray yourself out of a lion's den. Okay? How many of you at a dinner table could look at what you want and make a choice instead to eat what you should eat instead of what you want to eat? How many of you think you could do that? See, there's not one person in this room the only people not raising their hands are like, I'm not sure I can commit to a diet tonight, Pastor. <laughs> okay, I'm not asking you to change your diet. Okay, I'm asking you, could you? Could you in your next meal, is it possible for you to look at the dinner table and choose what you ought to eat over what you want to eat? And I would tell you, I would resolve uh, or I would, I would commit tonight, s submit, is the word I'm looking for. I would submit to you tonight, there's not one person in here that couldn't do that their next meal. Now, I don't know about the lion's den, but I do know about the dinner table. And there is no doubt in my mind, not one person in here, that that's beyond them. So let's really actually literally think about what we're talking about tonight. When Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself with the king's meat, he wasn't looking at the lion's den, he was looking at the dinner table. And when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego decided they would not defile themselves with the king's meat, they were not looking at the fiery furnace, they were looking at their next meal. And I'm telling you tonight, it doesn't take a supernaturally gifted superhero to purpose something in their hearts and take a stand for God. It simply takes you and I deciding the next choice I have, I'm going to choose the right thing. And the next choice I have, I'm going to choose the right thing. I'm literally going to eat this instead of this. Listen, if you're trying to get fit, don't think about 40 pounds. 
Think about not eating dessert. If you're trying to get victory over impurity, don't think about being perfectly clean and having everything right with God and being the beacon and the shining light of Christianity. No, don't think about that. Make a decision not to open the app on your phone the next time. If you're trying to, be, to overcome anger, don't think about all the times that you'll have to control it and you're worried about this and you're worried about that and I lose it here and I lose it there. No, think about this time. Is it possible for you this time to count to 10 or to count to 100 and walk away and not give in to anger? Is that possible? Yes. Now, is God asking you to become a, a Puritan in your anger issues? Well, no. He's simply asking that the next time you're confronted with anger, that you say, I'm not doing that this time. You know, you think about this, you apply it to whatever, if you're trying to control your tongue, don't think about all the opportunities you're going to have to to tear somebody down or that all the things that you want to say to that person that annoys you to death. If you think about that, you're going to be, it's going to be daunting. No, think about doing this instead. Think about this. No, all I have to do is close my mouth like this. Instead of opening it like this. Like you're not being asked to be a perfect Christian in this choice. You are being asked to do the right thing in this choice. And what happens is as you do that, your faith in God is built. And you do it enough that it becomes a life habit. And you do it enough that someday, listen, I'm telling you, if you will treat the small things... Like they're big things. Then one day, God will give you the opportunity to treat something big like it's a small thing. And I know when I stood up here at the beginning, it felt a little hopeless. How can we stand in persecution if we can't get up and read our Bible? We don't have to stand in persecution today. What all I have to do today is get up and read my Bible. Really, and I know this this seemed hard at the beginning, but it's a message of hope. And what God is teaching us through Daniel's life is this. All I need you to do is focus on the dinner table. Because everybody can choose right at the dinner table. And if I ever put you in a position that you're facing lions or you're facing a fiery furnace, I'll give you the grace in that moment to cross that bridge. But right now, all I need from you is to do right, right here. You say, how am I supposed to do that? Well, there's a lot of things that you can do and remember. One of those is never trust your emotions. Because in the middle of a, of a temptation, of a decision, your emotions are going to tell you, that cupcake looks so good. Cupcakes always look good. I don't know why, what it is about cupcakes But if you have laid something on your heart, that should be strong enough for you to say, wait, no, I made a decision. And although I want to eat the cupcake, is it possible for me in this moment to say no to it? Well, yes, that's all you have to do. How am I supposed to do this? Well, accept that it's going to be inconvenient. So don't trust your emotions, but second, accept that it's going to be inconvenient, meaning that Daniel and his friends knew they were going to get made fun of. Yeah, Daniel and his friends knew that they'd be sitting at a table and the kids at the other table were going to be saying, you dummies, 
I mean, we're at Carnival. Why are you just getting this salad bar? Some of you do that. I'm not making fun of you. But why are you just getting this salad bar? We're at Carnival. They knew it was going to be hard. But you know what? It was so strong that they had set something on their heart that they were willing to accept that it was going to be inconvenient. They were willing to accept that it was going to be hard because they believed so much in the decision that they had made. What else? How are you going to do this? Well, practice purposing in ways that nobody else sees. You say, well, what does that have to do with it? Well, we live in this age where everyone wants to put out in public, look how hard my life is. Look at all the things I'm doing that I want to be commended for. You know, social media kind of feeds this idea that, you know, I want everyone to know how hard it is or I want everyone to know what I'm doing. I want everyone to know how committed. I'm not saying that you do. I'm just saying that, that the current culture promotes that. I want everybody to know that my life is hard, but I'm doing really great things for God. And every time something good happens that, that I can take credit for, here it is. Well, you know what would be good for us? That when, when you're, you decide to, to purpose something in your heart, to say, I'm not going to let anybody else know about this. I'm not going to put this out there. I'm not going to let everybody know. I'm just going to do this. Here's why. Because you have, we have, in our culture, we've been trained to think that it's not noble unless we get noticed for it. But it would be good for us to know, listen, if you can purpose something in your heart and follow through with it, whether or not somebody on social media likes it, then you know that what you've done is for God and not for people to see you. And so I would encourage you to say, don't accept, I mean, just ignore the emotion of the moment, accept that it's going to be inconvenient. But number three, this is a big one, just purpose to do something, practice purposing in a way that nobody else will ever know. That's when you'll find out if it's real or not. Because it was between you and God and nobody else saw it and nobody else knew about it. But you followed through because you, it's really, it's a purpose with you and God. It doesn't matter what other people think. Listen, we just need to get to the point where we understand that our small decisions are preparing us for something bigger. And you could look at it and be discouraged and say, oh man, I'm never going to be able to stand big then. Or you can realize... All we have to do is the small decisions. It's not our job to focus on what's coming. I just have to focus on what's next. And all I have to do is make a decision today that I will eat this instead of eating that. The small choices make a big difference. So purpose means not that you win in the end. Purpose means that you do right with your next choice. You're not focused on the lion's den and you're not focused on the fiery furnace, but that you're just simply focused on the dinner table. So I want to ask you tonight, have you lost sight of the importance that the small choices are making in your life? In what areas of your spiritual life do you need to be more resolved? I think we all have them. In what areas of purpose have you made commitments but you've gotten off track? Is it time to repurpose that? And then if the small tests are an indicator of how you're going to handle the big stuff, does that mean you're likely to pass or fail 
when the big stuff comes. Because what I'm telling you is if you can't succeed over here, you will not succeed over there. So determine, I'm going to succeed in the small ways. I don't have to be Superman, Christian. All I have to be is consistent today. I don't have to set the world on fire over there. All I have to do is say yes to the right choices today. And if I will do that, then someday God is going to allow me bigger opportunities. What seemed small to us became a watershed moment for Daniel. For the next 60 plus years, Daniel, this decision prepared Daniel to do things that nobody dreamed he would do in Babylon. And it all started with what seemed like to most people a very small decision. And actually, I would submit to you that this example is still a watershed moment for Christians thousands of years later. Because we're looking at it saying, if Daniel could do that, then there's no reason for me to think that's beyond me. And if God could use Daniel to go from here to there, there's no reason to think that God can't use me that way. Treat the small things like big things, and one day you'll treat the big things like they're small things. It can happen for you, but you have to recognize the importance of the small, everyday decisions and resolve to do right in those, and then watch what God does in big ways down the road. Let's stand together. Every head bowed, every eye closed, we're going to have a verse of invitation. And I just want to encourage you with those questions. What small decisions have you been failing in that in some ways are proving there's a pattern in your life right now? What small decisions is it time for you to, to shore up in your life? And have you been focusing on the end, the big things, when really all you have to do is eat the right meal this time? Don't let it overwhelm you. Trust that God can use your small disciplined decisions of purpose to prepare you for something greater. Let those come in God's time. You just do what you know you're supposed to do and watch him work in greater ways. Father, I just pray that you'd help us tonight to be submissive to your word, that you'd speak to us through it, help us each to make right decisions. And Lord, this right here could be the small decision you are seeing how we operate in this decision now. And it could be that our response to this message determines what you do in bigger ways in our lives later on. God, however you want to work in our lives, Lord, the applications, there are plenty. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill in the gaps tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.